0: We're in Ephesians, and uh, hopefully we'll get into actually opening up the book of Ephesians today. We just got to, there's some things that in the book of Ephesians that we, I just want to highlight, I want to over, it's an overview of Ephesians to give you a better understanding um, of the book as, before we start in it. Um, the book of Ephesians is one of the most con, concentrated doctrinal epistles Paul ever wrote. This is all about the new creation and how to walk it out and live it out. In the first chapter, it talks about how this, this mystery, this, this, uh, the gospel was the, pl- the plan of God before the foundations of the earth. And then the second chapter talks about um, how Jesus Christ came and he f- carried out that plan of redemption. And then the, the next chapter shows how the Holy Spirit is revealing that to the church. And there's two, you know, there's two, there's two prayers. We'll find it a prayer in, in chapter one and then chapter three. And that prayer the prayers are much much the same in that his prayer is that the Holy Spirit would reveal this mystery, this truth of who you are in Christ Jesus to the church. And so that's something that you need to be praying as we go through the book of Ephesians. Pray it over your life that the revelation of the truth, of the mystery of God, of us in Christ Jesus would be revealed to us and we'd be able to walk it out in our lives. It is one of four such letters written by Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. So this book, the first time Paul was imprisoned in Rome is when he wrote this book. And he he wrote four letters. Books during that imprisonment, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philemon is more of a postcard, not really a letter, but (laughs) it's a short one. Um, During his second missionary journey, he wrote the very first his very first epistle. So the first time he was out in his missionary journey, he wrote First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, and First and Second Corinthians, and the book of Romans. And then Paul wrote his last letters during his second Roman imprisonment, Titus, which is another postcard, and 1st and 2nd Timothy. The book of Ephesians is, re- is a refreshing book because there's no problem addressed in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians applies to the entire body of Christ. You know, a lot of, a lot of Paul's letters, he was addressing issues and problems that we're having, having in the church. I mean, the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, um, Galatians, I mean, Galatians is... A, it's, it's preaching the gospel, but it is a scolding. You know, who has bewitched you? Oh, you foolish Galatians. You know, he's letting them know, you know, you're going down the wrong path. You know, you're going back to the law. You're going back to works instead of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Ephesians has no such wording like that. Writing to correct anybody, it's actually to reveal. To reveal truth to them. Um, Some of the oldest manuscripts, the words um, to the Ephesians in verse 1 are not found in the opening salutation. And another thing is the salutation is very short. Paul usually has an opening salutation that's quite wordy. Um, This this leads some people to think that that maybe this letter started out in the church of of Ephesus, but it really was designed to go to all the churches, to be a circular letter of teaching and understanding. That it wasn't really written specifically for the Ephesians, but it started in Ephesians and went out through all Asia Minor from the church of Ephesus. Interesting. The theme of the book of Ephesians is the church. The book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians are the two most paralleled books in the New Testament. You'll find some verses in Colossians and some verses in Ephesians that it's almost word for word identical. So we're going to probably look, be looking at Colossians a lot as we, we look at Ephesians, and many of the same phrases are found. But the difference is, is that in Ephesians, it is magnifying the body of Christ, which is his church. And in Colossians, it's magnifying the head which is Jesus Christ. So that's the, really the difference between, between these two books. As we said, the book of Ephesians is divided into two sections. I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but there was no chapters, there was no verses when these were written. Those were put in by translators to help us divide the, the Bible up. What happens is a lot of times you'll be reading, and just because a verse stops, you'll stop. And you don't realize that that very next sentence ties in and can change that whole verse above it. That's why it's important to look at verses in context. Right? So the uh, verses, the chapters, those were all added in um, through the translators. Um, Chapters 1 and 3 deals with positional truth. What do I mean by positional truth? Uh, Where you are in God. Your position you 're no longer in Adam, the first adam you 're in the second Adam Jesus Christ. what is your position and that ties in with authority that ties in with um, your rights as a believer right if you positionally you are an American citizen, correct and that gives because of that position you have certain rights and certain uh, benefits of being in this in the United States same thing with Spiritual things. Spiritually, we're positioned in Christ Jesus, and that's what the first three um, chapters are are revealing: who you are in Christ. Um, The next, the next uh, three chapters, chapters four through six, deals with temporal truth. Temporal truth. What do I mean by temporal truth? It's the application of your positional truth in life. See, there's truth in the world, but it's temporal truth. It doesn't last forever. Sickness, disease, poverty, famine, hate, adultery, lust, greed—that's truth. We have it in the earth, but thank God it's temporal. Right? There's coming a day where the eternal truth will be manifest in the whole earth. Right? And we're supposed to be praying that Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. Our goal is through faith, through. Our positional through the the positional truth, bring heaven to earth, and bring glory to Jesus. So, what this is talking about is in the first three chapters, he wants to reveal this mystery. He prays twice that you would uh, that it would be revealed and that your mind would be open and you'd be able to grasp this truth, because the next three chapters is all about since this is who you are, this is how we live. that's awesome. It's awesome. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the plan of redemption and building of the church. This plan is no different than that of creation. You know, when God created the earth, he had a plan. It was the Father's plan. The Father was the originator of the plan of redemption, just like the plan of creation from eternity past. This is the theme of chapter 1. So just, just like the Father had this plan to create the earth, he had this plan of redemption of, of man. And this was before the creation of time, before the earth was even create, created. Then Jesus Christ went to the cross and executed the plan of redemption, which is the theme of chapter 2. You know, Jesus Christ, it says that the world was created by his words and are upholded and sustained by the words of Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that spoke the world into existence. He's the one that, as we studied, um, Elohim, in the beginning was Elohim, the most high God, but then Jehovah God created the garden for man and said, let's make man in our image and created them. And Jehovah is Jesus, right? So, so we see Jesus as this intimate part of God that is, carries out the plan of God. And he's the one that carried out the plan of salvation, the redemptive work that the Father had for us. And then the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the plan of redemption to man. This is the theme of chapter 3. The Holy Spirit is, is the one that reveals this awesome mystery of us and the glory of God in us through Jesus Christ. He reveals it to the church. He reveals who you are. You cannot have a head knowledge. It has to be a heart understanding. You have to, it has to be revealed. It's supernatural. It's faith. It's you trusting in what's being revealed into you. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. What brings that faith, what brings that revelation is the Holy Spirit. So as we teach today, and and all of a sudden something you've never heard before, or or something that was confusing to you is made clear, you know what's so awesome about that? You know that the Holy Spirit is talking to you. God is intimate with you. He's thinking about you. That's awesome. That's awesome to think. We take those things for granted. We really do. We take the Holy Spirit for, for granted. So this plan was given in chapter 4. We see that this plan of redemption and, and, and the glorification of the body of Christ is given to the church through the fivefold ministry offices, which is the theme of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, it's all about overcoming sin, putting the word to use in our everyday lives, and uh, that's explained in, cha- in chapter five. It's it's taken who we are now that you're in Christ. What does that mean? How do we live? Are we defeated or are we victorious? How do we carry out our everyday lives? And we'll see that in chapter five. And then in, in chapter six, it's all about the the conquest over Satan and our witness to the world. That's that's going to be emphasized in chapter six. That the enemy is defeated. And uh, the only thing he has is lies right he 's under our feet. This whole book is like a progressive story, and it 's coming from the heart of God to the world and and what we 're about to do is we 're about to jump into this story, and we 're about to see um, our journey in the story and embark on God revealing his heart to us. So if you would, if you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, we're gonna go, today we're not going to get very far. I, I'm going to tell you that right off the bat. But there's some stuff here that I just want to point out. First of all, Paul, the word Paul, what's that, what does that name mean? Names have meaning. Because used to be called Saul. And Paul means small or little. Paul means small or little. And something to think about is who chose to call Paul, Paul instead of Saul? Who chose to call Paul, Paul instead of Saul, which means desired. It means desire. See, we think, we think that, that God changed Paul's name. Like Jesus did to Peter, but he didn't. In Acts chapter 13, verse nine, it says, "Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him." That's the first reference to Paul, or Saul being called Paul also. And from that reference on to the whole book of Acts, he's only referred to as Paul. And I think this really has something to do about how Paul seen himself. You know, he used to be a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, blameless. He was something to be desired. He was something to be proud of. He's the one that they issued the, the, the laws and the uh, written agreements to go and persecute the church, throw them in jail Put them to death. He was something. And I think Paul changed his name or Saul changed his name to Paul, which means little or small. Because when, he, when he, he met Jesus, he realized how little and how small he really was, how all his accomplishments, all his ability was nothing, how the strength of his own flesh was nothing, was nothing. Look at how Paul wrote about himself. In First Corinthians fifteen nine. he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. This was Paul. Paul says, I'm the least, I'm little, I'm small, because of the things that I've done. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But he was called an apostle. And we're going to find out why here in a little bit. But this is how Paul wrote about himself. Look at in Ephesians what he says. In Ephesians 3.8, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's seen himself as small. He's seen himself as little. He's seen himself as the least, but God's grace. But God's grace. And for us, it's easy to see ourselves as small, but also fail to see God's grace and God's calling. Or we can depend on our education, we can depend on our our own ability, the strength of our own hands, our riches, and see ourselves as big. But we need to see ourselves in the flesh like Paul, that we're little. That we're not abil- our ability is, we have no ability in ourselves. But you don't stop there. You go to the next level of trusting God by his grace and his favor and his ability to work through you, that you can do anything. That's what Paul is t- talking about here. That's what he's explaining In looking at ourselves in the natural, we must also be like Paul, and we must see ourselves as small. You know, the Bible says that I know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, and that we're more than conquerors, Paul declares in his writings, but it's through the greater one living in us. It's through the greater one that's living in us. We ourselves are small, but Jesus is big, and Jesus is inside of us. That's the, it's the gospel. The gospel, is, it takes out all religion. It takes out all self-effort. It, it takes out, I am nothing. Christ is everything. And he lives in me. And I'm in him. He's in me. And everything that I am, all my successes are because of him. That's why Paul changed his name from Saul to Paul. In Ephesians, Paul one one it says that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, the small one, also calls himself an apostle, which is a title of importance. It's actually it's kind of um, was a na- like a navy term back in those days, kind of like an admiral. That's what, the same word for an admiral back in Paul's day would be. Of the apostle of the ship. So we see it's kind of like it contradicts itself. You have Paul, the small one, and then you have this great title of importance. And that's the, our two worlds. It's the worlds of the flesh, and it's the worlds of the spirit. And it's bringing those together. The flesh and the spirit. In the flesh, he was small. He had no ability in himself. But in the spirit, through Christ, he was an admiral. He was the apostle. So even though it seems like it contradicts itself, it actually is a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful statement of who he was in the flesh, but who he was in Christ Jesus. Amen. Apostleship is a matter of grace and not of talent. Apostleship is not a talent. It is a gift of God. A talent is something you're born with. Some people are, are great athletes. Some people are great musicians, uh, mathematics, smart scientists. They're, they're just, they, ha- they have an ability to do things. But it's, there's a difference between having an ability to do things and being graced by God supernaturally to do things. See, if you have a talent to do things, you can use that for the glory of God. But that's something that you have. Right? And there's nothing wrong with being talented and doing it for the glory of God. Magnifying Jesus with your talent. But God uses the weak things. The base things. The are nots. Remember that? Are not smart enough. Are not strong enough. Are not rich enough. Are not. Right? Why? Because people look at them and say that has to be god any success we have here i know i <laughs> you know me good enough that you look at me and you say that has to be god if you know me intimately you know that it has to be god that we're and that's how we got to see ourselves as an are not i'm not able i'm small i'm unable to do these things but god by his grace empowers us to these, to do these things that's the difference between talent and being graced being anointed by god in romans 12 three, 3 through 4 it says for i say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as god has dealt to each one a measure of faith for as we have many members in the one body but all the members do not have the same function. So this is Paul speaking. He's saying that you're not supposed to think of yourself as above other people because you are who you are by the grace of God. If it wasn't for God's grace, you would be nothing. So what where's boasting? Where's boasting in who you are? It's in Christ. I am who I am because of Jesus, because of God's grace. And you see that over and over again in Paul's writings. Paul is constantly saying, I am Paul. I am not worthy. I am the least. But by his grace, I am what I am. Right? Who is, so who's greater? Paul the apostle? Paul that wrote um, three quarters of the New Testament? Or Ananias? And you're probably thinking, who's Ananias? Well, when Paul, when Jesus Christ stopped Paul, he was going to persecute him, Jesus, because he was persecuting the church. And he was struck blind. And Paul asked, Lord, who, who are you? He says, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. He went away and fasted and prayed. And there was a disciple called Ananias that was praying also. And, and God spoke to Ananias, say, "I want you to go to this street called Straight, and there is one in there of Saul, and I want you to declare him who I am and what he must do." And Ananias didn't want to go because the, he knew Saul. Saul was the one that was taking people to jail and all that. But by faith, he went and did that. He led Paul in the Lord in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And prophesied to Paul what his role was going to be in the body of Christ. Who who's greater? The one that obeyed God and led Paul to the Lord, led Paul in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or Paul that did all these works? Who's greater, Billy Graham or the one that led Billy Graham to the Lord? God doesn't judge on quantity. He judges on, this is your calling. This is what I've called you to do. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful in what I've called you to do? We we judge on quantity. We we judge on three quarters of the New Testament, the miracles recorded of Paul, all these things. But because of one person fellowshipping with God, praying with God, and being obedient, it brought Paul into the kingdom, and all these things happened because of that. That's awesome to think about. In Romans twelve three and 4, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There is grace given to you. There's grace given to you. And we must be faithful to that grace that was given. See, that's faith. Our faithfulness is in the faith of God's grace in our life. Do you understand that? Grace is God's favor, his anointing, his equipping, his ability in your life. And it's done through one person who is grace, Jesus Christ, right? But you can be like that man that had the talent given to him and just hide the grace of God in the ground and be afraid to do anything with your life because you see yourself as small, you see yourself as not able to do anything, you can see yourself as a failure. As I say over and over again, if you're going to fail, fail for the glory of God. Fail for the glory of God. If if I'm going to get to heaven and I'm an absolute failure, I'm going to say, Lord, at least I did it for your glory. <laughs> right? But we're given grace. We're given grace. And God expects us to have faith in that grace to do something with that grace. We must be faithful with the grace that is given to us. That's what that's saying. It says each one of us has has grace was given to us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, what, what has God graced you to do for the kingdom of God right now? What's he speaking to you? What is he wanting you to do for, in his name, for his kingdom? Only when we are faithful with what we've been given will we grow in grace. Do you realize you can grow in grace? As you're faithful with least... You grow in, in, in the grace, and if you, as you're faithful and you trust and you do things that God is calling you to do, you're obedient to the grace, you will grow in more and more grace, more and more ability. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul did not choose to be an apostle. You can't choose to be an apostle, you can't choose to be a prophet. you can't choose to any of the full ministers. you can't choose to be a pastor. You can choose it, but you're going to be miserable. If you're not graced to do so, you can't be a pastor because your mama want, wants you to be a pastor. You can't be a pastor because you have a heart to do good. You have to be graced to do this. you'll be a failure and you're going to hurt a lot of people if you are not called to be to the office of the fivefold ministry. It might look shiny it might look good, but I'm telling you if you th- if you, don't, if you don't have the grace, when people talk nasty about you, when people reject you and leave, leave your church or leave the church or, or call you a heretic or whatever nice things they want to say about you, if you don't have the grace of God on your life, you, you won't get through those things, and you'll start compromising, and you'll start trying to run the church according to what pleases men rather than God. There has to be a grace upon you. There has to be an equipping, an ability to do these things. And you can grow in that, in that grace. Paul didn't choose to be an apostle. It was the will of God for him to be an apostle. He was called to it and graced by God to perform and carry out that calling. All of us are called by God to many different things. He graces us for many things. You know, in the Old Testament, when they build the Ark of the Covenant, He says, "I have anointed this individual in in metalworking. I've anointed this person in woodworking. I've anointed this this in sewing the the tabernacle up." These people were graced by God to do something supernatural for Him, and that's one thing we got to understand. There isn't the secular, and then there's the holy. No. All things are holy. All things are good and pleasing to God. Now I'm not talking about sin and stuff like that. I'm talking about what you do, your job, whatever your job is, you can be graced to do that job. But the, the thing that we fail to do and the fail, thing that we fail to teach our kids is to find out what God has called you to. Some of us are doing our jobs in our own flesh. We're doing it in our own ability. We, I'm at this job because this is where... I, they hired me. But are you content? Are you? Do you feel like that uh, this is where you're supposed to be? This is what God's called you to? If it's not, it might be just a stepping stone. And don't be afraid to trust him. Be faithful with that grace upon your life to do what God has called you to do. Right? We don't teach it very good in the church is that God has a plan for your life. He has a destination for your life. I don't care if you're only... Five years old or you're 95 years old, God still has a plan for your life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 9 and 10, it says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It seems very contradictory there. He says, I'm the least, but I've done more than them all. But then he says, but it's not me. My ability, my labor, my hard work, even that was because of God's grace. And you can always tell somebody that is working under, laboring under grace or laboring under the flesh. You ever hear of burnout? I mean, there's so many articles on avoiding burnout and all, you know, ministers getting burned out. I want to get burned up. I just want to I mean, I don't understand that. And the reason why is because they're doing it in their own work, they're doing it in their own flesh. they're, taking care, they're carrying burdens and cares that they weren't meant to carry. They, the responsibility, they take it on their own shoulders. And they're not under grace. A grace, when you're under grace, you can labor more than anybody. You can. You, people will look at you and say, how do you get so much done? I, I don't know how you aren't just exhausted. It's because there's a grace on you to do it. It's supernatural. See, these are things we don't understand. Even in your life, there's a grace that God wants to put on you that... People look at you and say, Man, how do you do? How do you accomplish all the things you do? How are you able to do the things that you do? I look at you and I just get exhausted. But you seem to just be like a bobber, like a cork. You always rise to the top. It's because there's a difference between the works of the flesh and being graced, this, this supernatural ability of God on your life. It's awesome. It's awesome. Part 2 of verse 1 in Ephesians. We're we're moving along quick, aren't we? We're we're in part 2 of verse 1. So, (laughs) to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints. To the saints that are in Ephesus. Saints means holy ones. There's some denominations that you have to qualify to be a saint. They, They vote on if you're worthy to be a saint. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. We are all saints. We are all holy ones because of Jesus Christ. You are a saint. There's some people that look at you and say, How dare you say that? How dare you say that? That's why we don't look like saints because we don't see ourselves as saints. But you're a saint. You're a saint. If you are are in faith in Jesus Christ and you've been born again and his spirit lives inside you, you are holy and without blame. That's good news. That's awesome news. But then he goes on and says, and to the faithful. And to the faithful. See, we are, by God's grace, we are made saints. Nothing that you have done. You just embracing Jesus. You just saying, you know what? I'm going to believe this what God declares about me in Jesus Christ over what Satan and the world declares over me through Adam. And you are a saint, and it's by God's grace. But are you going to take that grace and be faithful? You're the one that now has to, through faith, in what God has done in your life, be faithful with that grace. And there's because there's a distinguisher to the saints and then to those that are faithful. Those that are faithful. It's up to us. See, and notice that it's also in Christ. You can only be faithful by staying in Christ, who is what? Our grace. Right? You ever hear the term fish out of water? That's what you should feel like when you're out of Christ. A fish is only a good, a fish is only a fish, it only can perform, it only can live when it's in water, right? A Christian is only good, it can only perform, it can only do the things that God has created to do when it's in Christ. I hope you see the same thing going over and over again, he, that, that this faithfulness is not you, now i got to work real hard. No, it's just Believing this is who God says I am. And I'm going to be faithful with who God says I am. I'm going to believe that. And that's how I'm going to live. Right? And we see this. And it must have been like that in the churches in Paul's day. That that there are those that that are, you know, um, show up on on Sunday and stuff like that. And then there's the faithful ones. Percentage-wise, throughout... (laughs) The churches, they say that it's the 80-20 rule. That 20% are the ones that are faithful. 20% are the ones that serve in church, of, and 20% are the ones that give at church. I see at this church, we break that mold. I, think, I, I, I believe that we're, above, we're far above 20%. We have very faithful people here. We're people that are taking the grace of God and believing and trusting in Him. We have people that are coming, doing things, you know, children's ministry, getting up here, doing a call of worship. It's not, you, most people don't want to do that. And they do it by faith. They get up here and they, and they, and they say, you know what, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to equip me. I'm going to do this for His glory. And I'm doing it in faith. You know, children's ministry, you know, they, they can be intimidating. Especially when it doesn't feel like they're listening to you. Or you're not getting through to them. But you do it in faith. It's faithfulness. It's just, you know, giving is, is faithfulness. Trusting that God's your provider and, and giving to his kingdom and giving your first fruits and expecting him to bless the rest. That's just having faith, being faithful in the grace that God has given you. And when we are faithful in that grace, when we're faithful in that grace, God will increase the grace. We're going to see this in just a little bit. Ephesians 1, 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common salutation from Paul. It's written in almost all his letters Grace be to you and peace. Grace be to you and peace. But if you notice, grace always comes before peace. Because you cannot know the peace of God until you first know and understand the grace, the grace of God. You cannot have peace without God's grace. Christians get so wrapped up, can get so wrapped up in self-effort and not understand that by God's grace, everything has already been accomplished in Christ Jesus. We can get so wrapped up in what I must do instead of just living, dwelling in Christ. And when you learn that everything's already been done, everything's already been accomplished in Christ Jesus, you're going to see this theme through Ephesians of past tense that it's already done. We're going to see this over and over and over again. And when you know that it's already done, you're, you know that you're already a conqueror, you know that you've already been graced and equipped to do the things that God's called you to do, there's just peace in your life. There's peace in your life. Grace and peace, be, in Second Peter 1-2, it says grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You can grow in grace. Grace and peace can be multiplied to you. I love that. Multiplication is a lot better than addition, right? We sure don't want subtraction, but multiplied. God multiplies when he gives to you. And how do you multiply the grace and peace in your life? How do you do it? By being faithful. And how are you faithful? Through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know God, the more you understand Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished and what he's done in your life, it, you just grow in grace and you grow in the peace, the peace of God. Understanding God's word always increases our capacity to handle more of his blessing. As we increase our capacity, God increases the amount he gives your capacity is your willingness to be faithful with what he's given. Your faithfulness with his word. Your faithfulness with, with, um, with getting to know Jesus and getting to know him. Your cup gets bigger and bigger and bigger and he's able to fill it more and more and more. You know, we're so, we're so, our culture is so busy. So Busy. Oh, we're always busy. We're filling our cup, our container, all the time. TV, entertainment. We, I mean, we got to be on the phones. We got to do this thing all the time. We can't have dinner with, as a family without being on the phone. We're constantly filling ourselves, we're constantly having the world communicate with us, just talk to us and tell us what to think and what to do and how we're supposed to act. Our cups are full. But it's not filled with the grace of God. It's not filled with his word. It's not filled with who he is. It's not filled with knowing about him and allowing him to bring peace in your life. It's filled with our own things. God is a God that just loves to overfill us. In Psalms 23, 5, you know this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, so many church people think that this banquet this table that God prepares for you is in heaven. It's not in heaven, because your enemies won't be in heaven. God wants to throw a big old party for you right in the presence of your enemy right now on earth. He wants to have a banquet table set up in front of you. And there's so many people that refuse to sit down at his table. You anoint my head with oil. That's it's his grace, that's his favor. My cup runs over. God is a God of too much. He's not a God of enough. He's a God of too much. When he did the loaves and fishes, it was too much. They, Twelve baskets left over. It was overflow. You know, you're sitting at the banquet table, and God starts pouring it in the wine. And it gets, it's getting up halfway, and man... It's getting up to three-quarters and it keeps on going. It gets up to the right up to the rim, and you're thinking, you better stop, it's going to overflow. And he just keeps on pouring it. The cup over overflows. That's the way that God is. God doesn't know enough. He's always the God of too much. Jesus was too much. Where sin abound, grace super abounds, grace superabounds, the Bible says. God is too much. God always fills to overflowing. He pours out when we have something with which to receive. If you do not have a cup, God is on, has no obligation to pour out. You have nothing to receive. If, if, you're, if you don't have, a, if you're not a willing vessel, if you're not a faithful vessel, that's taking the grace of God and being faithful with it. The cup comes through the knowledge of God's word as you Your knowledge increases, your cup increases, increased capacity brings increased blessing into your life. And you cannot deny that you can tell people that have spent time with the Lord that they had the blessing of God all over their life. There is a difference with people that are faithful with the grace that God has given them, they're a faithful steward of what God has given them, they're faithful with their time, with their word, all those things, by the grace of God, and you can just see increase in their life. It's awesome. But well, for some reason, we, we look at them and we say, well, God just loves them more than not me. No, he loves you just the same. He's He wants to grace you just the same. He wants to pour out in your life just the same. It's the vessel that's different. Right? And God doesn't choose golden vessels. He doesn't choose... Choose chooses silver vessels, he chooses willing vessels. He chooses willing vessels. So that is our, the first two verses of, of <laughs> Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I promise we will go faster, but uh, there's a lot jam-packed just in that little bit. And, we, and, and those salutations are just, we just read them and overlook them you know we we don't realize that this is inspired by the holy spirit god is trying to tell us something here god is trying to tell us something here and and just something that kind of uh um, makes us realize that this is a uh, could have been a circular letter that went around to a lot of churches is the salutation was very it wasn't very personal most of paul's salutations were quite lengthy that's the those two verses were the salutation. It was kind of like a generic salutation, a generic letter. But even in the genericness of it, you realize that there's so much power, there's so much God is saying just in that in that little bit right there. Amen. Amen, church. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.